Hello there, my name is Crichton2x4b523p, such a jerky middle name, and you are listening to Sustainababble. How the devil are you? Fine. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 184. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable 184. And all, 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 I am very, very, very excited. You and me both. Why are you very excited, Dave? Let's just cut to the chase. Let's not bother saying we are your friendly weekly environment podcast. And even though the planet is going to hell, we can still have a chuckle about it every now and then. Let's not do that. No, and don't instead, say that. Don't say that. Let's, let's just say we have only gone and got an interview with that there Crichton off of Red Dwarf, otherwise known as Robert Llewellyn off of Cars, Electric Things and Wizzy Tech and Telly and stuff. But it's very exciting <laughs> because he's kind of like little bit of a hero of mine all it's yeah. very exciting yeah totally red dwarf was was the the first show that like felt like a, a real cult thing for me growing up like i was in on the joke and it was amazing and yeah. and it still is amazing it's still going it started when i was five years old and it's still going and i'm more than five years old now but uh for anyone who hasn't watched it go and watch it uh, it's amazing, Red Dwarf. But it features Robert Llewellyn as Crichton, uh, who is, in my view, the best character in it anyway. And I would say that, but I also happen to believe it. Um, and it's amazing. But we talk to Robert uh, a little bit about Red Dwarfy things, but mainly about electric carsy things. Because Robert, apart from being an actor, is a absolute expert and mad keen enthusiast on all things electric cars and he runs this show on youtube called fully charged which is mad popular it gets like mm. millions of views uh, even for each more episode. than the yeah. even more than the babble uh, so he knows more than most about whether or not electric cars are gonna kill all the children in africa because they're making batteries for them uh, whether they're any good at going fast and a long time and how often you have to wee uh, in a new electric car. Yes. <laughs> to, to be clear, this isn't a thing you have to do in order to get the thing to start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just a small amount of urine added to a lithium-ion battery, a little little explosion and then you're away. Uh, we were superbly grateful to Babble listener Howard, actually, who uh, got in touch with Robert and said, look, uh, these guys want to interview you. Thank you very much, Howard. That's really appreciated. But mostly very, very grateful to Robert for his time. He gave us a fair old chunk of time. So this is a longer episode than normal. Um, it, we get discursive. We talk about stuff. We talk about cars. We talk about politics. We talk about Red Dwarf. We talk about swearing. There's some sweary bits. Hopefully I shall get those out. Um... It was really, really good. Thank you, Robert. And we massively enjoyed it, didn't we all? We did. Uh, just before we let you loose on that interview, the usual disclaimer, Dave works for the universe, but I work for an environment charity. Uh, and these are very much my views, not the views of the charity what employs me. So if you've got any problems with anything I say or anything Dave says or anything Robert says, uh, don't take them up with that charity. Take them up with me. All right. 
Um, for for anyone who doesn't, oh, yeah, oh, yes. I just want to get this. I, no, look, stop. I want to get this out of the way. Right, we are talking to <laughs> the only person we have ever interviewed who wears latex for a living. Right, and I want to just get out of the way that we're talking to Robert Llewellyn off of Red Dwarf, which is probably if my fourteen-year-old self could see me now. Well, <laughs> Well, they don't have all sorts of things to say. Yeah, Starting with, say. oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, you're talking to Crichton. So I just want to say thank you, Mr. Crichton, sir, for coming that's on. Very, that's coming on very, our very kind of you, sir. It, oh. 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 <laughs> that's all we have time for. <laughs> I can't hang around here saving your necks all day. I guess I'll go and make a start on that ironing. I want to be scientifically accurate because it used to be latex. Well, a, a special form of latex prosthetic foam is what, is what my uh, Crichton's mask used to be made of. It's now made of silicon rubber, pure, a very pure form of silicon rubber. Does that does uh, that mean you have to spend less time in makeup? Uh, yes, fractionally, but it doesn't make that much difference. But the but the really good thing is it's not absorbent. So the old foam mask that I used for years well, the masks, because they were new every time I put one on, they would absorb things. So if you made the stupid mistake of dipping a, a, a chip slash French fry in Craig's curry sauce, which for a start was risky, <laughs> uh, for people who've seen Red Dwarf will understand this, people who won't will go, what the hell is he talking about? Um, but then if you got a bit of that curry sauce on your rubber lips of your full face prosthetic <laughs> foam makeup, it would absorb it and you'd have the flavour of curry, and also the, the, they would come apart and everything. The new silicon is fabulous because I can eat, I can spill stuff all around the mouth and then my wonderful makeup man just comes up with a wet wipe, wipes oh, me down like a baby. I want someone to do that. I want someone to wipe my curry sauce off my face I at all times during the day. I'm constantly being wiped on Red Dwarf. Oh, it's one of the, one of the pleasures. That's living, living the dream. <laughs> you have no idea if anyone's wiping you. It could be wiping me all the time, I don't know. <laughs> So apart from being off of Red Dwarf, you are probably better known to certainly our younger listeners, shall we say, um, our green-minded listeners anyway, as the host of a thing called Fully Charged, what is podcast and a YouTube channel and all sorts of stuff, which is basically about, it's like, imagine Top Gear, but not full of bellends and actually about <laughs> good stuff like electric cars and clean tech and saving the planet. The human-machine interface on the Polestar 2 is 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 way out ahead it's better than any other car including tesla now i know and how on earth did you get into that kind of thing in the first place because you used to be a right petrol head that was you right uh, yes I, I, I mean i was without question um i think it was a it was there's no question a combination of things but certainly doing scrap heap challenge which i did on some some of your older list, listeners will remember uh on channel four for 10 years we did that the rules are simple everything's built from scrap and the machines have got to work Last series, so in that time, so that was always a, a, a genuine interest of mine. So sometimes people who do TV presenting, you know, you go, do you want to do Bake Off? They've never baked anything in their life. They're not interested in baking and they do Bake Off or whatever it is, dancing or whatever. 
I I was obsessed with engineering from as, from a, 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 a from a, when I was a child. So that was it was such an incredibly important show for me to do that show. And it took a long time. It was some years before we did it to convince people that it was a good idea. It's one of those classic battles to get something on the TV. But that was such a um, an extraordinary experience. And uh, what happened as a result of that, we, we did, f- I think, four series in the UK that we then made one in the United States, a, a scrap heap, but we made it in California. But we also made a series there called Junkyard Wars, exactly the same show, hmm. but with American contestants. Uh, other, I had American uh, co-presenters. So I just did the first series of that. They did that for a few years. And I would go over every year, do specials after that. But that, that year, I then met a lot of engineers, automotive engineers, aeronautical engineers, all sorts of people in California, but a huge thread of them were working on developing electric vehicles. And this is 2000, 2001, that kind of period, 2002. So really early stuff. And I had no idea why, because I was driving either a civilian Hummer, (laughs) military vehicle, or I did for a week, I had a, a 1969 fastback Ford Mustang, which was oh, the wow. classic Ford Mustang as used in the, uh, the iconic film Bullet, driven, uh, Steve driven by Steve McQueen. Yeah. So one of those cars in immaculate condition, mint condition. And the guy was trying to sell it to me. And I was tempted, but I didn't buy it. And I'm quite glad now. But it was So that was where my head was at. And then I had a ride in a... Uh, um, the two things that happened, I had a lift home one night after a long day in a totally unremarkable little Japanese car. I knew nothing about it. And it went... We were actually at traffic lights about one in the morning on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and the car just went, just moved. And it felt like someone was pulling it with a wire I couldn't see. And I went, what? (laughs) And then I had a a ride when we were filming uh, at a racing circuit in California, had a ride in a thing called the T0. And that was nothing to do with Scrappy. We weren't filming that, but they were testing it on a drag strip near where we were filming and they wanted me to have a go in it. And it was incredibly hot day. I was desperate from a lunch break to get under the canopy out of the sun. And they went, Bob, come and have a go on this. It's awesome. You're going to love it. And at that stage, I was in a position where I was very lucky that I got to go in all sorts of amazing machines. I mean, from massive diggers to ships to fast cars, all that stuff. So it wasn't like top of the thrill list, but I got in this bloody little car with, five-point harness, neck brace, full-face helmet, strapped in, and the driver's name was Randy, and I didn't want to laugh when they told me that, because it's so pathetic, but I'm British, and the word Randy is sort of rude. Did Randy have a fanny pack? If he did, I think he'd hung it on a hook, thankfully, out of sight. But he called me Bob, and I'm always a bit... I've got used to it now, but many years I didn't... I was uncomfortable being called Bob because I had an Uncle Bob that wasn't allowed to babysit. So, you know, there's some, you know, so it's just those connotations. He wasn't a real uncle. I'm very glad to say. He was just called Uncle Bob. He was a loud round when there were lots of adults about. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Well, Bob. Welcome on board. And I just sat in this car going, oh, we'll start the engine in a minute. And it just went down this drag strip. And this was a sub four second, not to 60 experimental electric vehicle. And if you've ever never been in a car that can accelerate from not to 60 in four seconds, it's not pleasant. And imagine bits of your like, face go backwards quite rapidly, don't it? It's just horrible. You do, I mean, you feel like someone, I don't know what's happening. It feels like you're sitting still in, and you know you're safe. 
but there's a truck coming up behind you with a massive bumper on it at 60 miles an hour and it hits you in the back and you really feel it it's phenomenal but horrible and so that I was fascinated but baffled by that it was like a why do you make a car that sounds like a vacuum cleaner? You know, it wasn't, it didn't immediately go, oh God, electric cars, that's the answer. So that was, and that was 2001. But it certainly planted a seed and I wondered why people were doing it. So electric cars used to be really shit. <laughs> I, I went back. I, I went back to the uh, the first episode on on YouTube of Fully Charged. I thought it's ten. You've been doing it for ten years, right? And ten thought, years. I'm going to go back and I'm going to see what electric cars were like ten years ago. And I tell you what they were like. They were like noddy is what they were like. You get, you get into this car and it's like this kind of cartoonish small thing, the kind of thing that might yeah. have picked you up to take you from hole nine to hole ten. But that was ten years ago. So what? where are electric cars are at now? I mean, are, do they now, are they here? Are they great? Can they compete? Where yes. are we at? Yes, they are. They're, they're better now, without any question. So, I mean, I think the key important thing is that they're not... Uh, any sort of solution in the, in terms of how we move about, particularly in our cities, how we transport ourselves. They, they, they are so similar to the existing machines we have, petrol and diesel cars. The only difference is what makes them move along and, and the impact that that action has on the planet. That's the only argument. So if you've got uh, 10,000 electric cars in a traffic jam on the M25, it's it's just as much a pain <laughs> as it is if you're in diesel. The only difference is there's no noise and there's no fumes coming out of tailpipes, you know. And uh, so, uh, and I don't mean to denigrate electric cars in that sense because I think they're important. I think what they do, um, they they are a vitally important educational tool because as soon as someone drives one, they then become aware of the incredible uh, dirt inefficiency, uh, uh, unreliability, noise vibration energy wastage of the traditional vehicles that we're all used to driving and that's what it did to me when I first drove one I went oh you know it doesn't take you long to work out I drive 50 miles in this car and it costs me 50p (laughs) and I drive 50 miles in a petrol car and it costs you four pounds 55 pounds that's the difference and and also the fact that the energy you put into that car 80% of it in an electric car and now I'm being conservative there but 80 percent of it of the energy you put in so the electricity you put in moves you along the road when you fill up your tank with petrol gasoline uh, it's about 25 percent of that liquid that you put in your tank moves you along the rest is wasted 75 so if you put a pound into your gas fuel tank 75p of it's just wasted as heat wow and friction and all the stuff, all the peripheral machinery that's being used now to make that engine work. So it, I just think they're monstrously old-fashioned, inefficient, rubbish machines, you know. And, and the, 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 the lovely one, I got a lift home today in a 1948 uh, sort of Jeep thing, which a neighbour has as a sort of hobby car. Those are brilliant. <laughs> you know, weird classic cars, fabulous. Don't, and don't put an electric motor in it. Keep its rubbish old petrol engine in that constantly breaks down. That's half the <laughs> fun, know. isn't it? You know, fix, yeah, exactly. fixing I mean, these things on the side of the road. Yeah, he, that guy's had that car for 18 months and it's been functional, for, he thinks, for two and a half weeks in that time. <laughs> <laughs> but it is quite so old. The, 
so it's not just that they're better than they were. You, your position is they are just better. Like, they just it makes I, it makes no sense to buy a fossil fuel car. No, anymore. not now. Uh, I think, and I think possibly that's that's only been the case for say the, the last two years. So the the, the key things are. Uh, ten years ago, when I started making fully charged, the easy way of describing the changes are: is a battery to manufacture a kilowatt hour of lithium-ion batteries in a pack cost about one thousand five hundred dollars in twenty ten. Today, it's about one hundred and forty dollars. So it's come down, wow. and that's everything that you need. That's not just the cells; that's the pack itself, the manufacturing of the pack. It's about one hundred and forty dollars. So what's happened is. The prices of electric cars have come down, but not by a dramatic amount, not by enough. But if you compare it to what they cost in 2010, they come down a lot. But what has happened is the batteries have got bigger. They've got bigger in their storage capacity. They've got lighter and smaller, more compact because they're more energy dense. And they're bigger, so your car goes further. So if you buy a car now for £22,000, it will do 200 miles on a charge if you'd bought it 10 years ago it might have done 60 if you drove it carefully <laughs> and a car that cost more might have done 60 so and that is a lot of the the anxiety and uh, uh, arguments against electric cars are always about five to ten years out of date yeah i've experienced so 10 that. years ago you could say they don't go far enough and you go well how far do you drive in one go without having a wee and the answer is about 150 miles most human beings that's three hours even oh, on I'd, motorways. I'd, I'd, I'd kill to be able to last 150 miles of that. Yeah, exactly. Week. Well, I've done, I've done bladder tests, bladder range tests. My bladder <laughs> range is about 155, and then I'm desperate. But the problem you get with as, as the years pass is I could be sitting down driving with no discomfort. I'm fine. I don't want to go to the loo. Pull over to stop. I get out of the car and stand up. You unfold. Instant alarm. It's, it's like a kinked hose. How does that happen? It didn't happen when I was young. I remember being in agony when I was young, driving on motorways, needing a wee. I, don't, I never do now. It's just... How's he doing, Hull? Physically, he's fine. He's got the body of a perfectly normal 30-year-old human male, apparently. So other than other than the kind of urination uh, dilemma, yeah. what, why why isn't the UK's road network plastered with electric vehicles then? And why, quite apart from the fact that there are still lots of vehicles that have been around for a long time, why yeah. uh, the ones that are being bought still not overwhelmingly electric vehicles? Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, okay. Um, there's a massive. Um, uh, what's that called? Inertia, inertia in the automotive manufacturing industry, and I don't think it's it's not an evil conspiracy. It's nothing. It's it's literally scale. So I mean, pick any of the large motor manufacturers: Nissan, Mitsubishi, uh, Renault, Honda, Toyota, Ford. All those people they have they employ thousands, and, and in many cases, tens of thousands of people working in engine plants, manufacturing where they... So what we see on the telly when you see the footage of the robots going weld, 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 that is the bodywork. That's a tiny part of the process. When you see how engines are made, they never show that footage <laughs> because it doesn't look as glamorous. But, you know, engines are big, heavy lumps of metal with millions of parts in, in them, not millions, but in one engine, you know, up to a thousand moving parts in an engine, you know, really complicated machines. Well, they have refined, refined and refined the manufacturing of that over 100 years. 
you know, they have got really good at it and they can produce them very cheaply. So you've got to transition from that to making a technology that they know nothing about, software, electricity, electric motors, a very minimal understanding of that. And then you see the, in, the new arrivals in the scene and they're now becoming more common. So the obvious one everyone's heard of is Tesla. Um, but when you see the, the software that runs a Tesla, it's probably 10 years ahead of anything that any of the established car makers even know could exist. It's beyond <laughs> their ken. It's, it's software. It's yeah. you, you're, young, your age people with laptops. That, that's automotive engineers now, not a mechanic with a spanner. The car in front of it, it sees a stop sign. Uh, it sees the distance of the vehicle in front of it as well. And it's analyzing whether it's at a safe distance, whether it's at an unsafe distance. It's so computers on wheels, aren't they? I mean, that's yeah, they're they're, they're computers yeah. and batteries on wheels. That's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's that that transition is very painful. The other thing that is becoming more and more apparent is uh, I've just done a review of the really nice little car, the Vauxhall e- Corsa E, which, of which there's a really good electric version. There's also a petrol version. There's also a diesel version. But if they put that car, uh, there's another bit to this, but if they put that car in a, in a showroom and they could today sell it for less than their petrol and diesel ones, this is an argument, if they could, that, that transition is going to be too fast for them. No one's going to buy the petrol and diesel one. They're all going to buy the electric right. ones. And they've suddenly lumbered with this huge manufacturing base. But the other problem is, and this has become very apparent in the recent times, is you go into a showroom dealership and you buy the new diesel whatever, the Dubri Dubri diesel. And then that, that showroom goes, brilliant, here's your car, here's your keys, and you know, enjoy that, and come back in six months for a service. And you come back in six months and you need this and that and that, five new spare parts, new catalytic converter, da da That's where they make the money. They can sell that initial car at a loss, and it doesn't matter because you're going to come back and back, because what we now know, and I know from experience of having owned them, combustion cars need constant servicing and constant spare parts. And that is a huge industry that employs thousands of people. So you've got to transition them, because I've had, uh, I have a Nissan Leaf here. It's coming up for 10 years old. It's had two services in its life, no, no and it needed nothing doing. It's had new tyres. It's had new brake pads now. has an MOT every year, always passes it. There's nothing to do. That the motor will need a service when it's done half a million miles, five hundred thousand miles. So the car will have fallen to bits. The motor's fine. So it's a different technology, and it, and we have a very well established manufacturing and service system with our cars that's there that we won't need, and that's going to take. So I think it's a painful transition and the danger for the big car companies is the the likes of Rivi, of tesla of rivian of neo of byton byton maybe not they've gone off the list but um uh, xiaoping a lot of chinese companies are producing hundreds of thousands of electric cars that are getting cheaper and cheaper uh you know that will be coming into europe i don't you know unless there's world war three <laughs> With the Chinese, that could put a dint in car sales. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, it would be suboptimal on a number of levels. World War Two with China, but um, yeah, yeah. Step up to red alert, uh, sir. Are you absolutely sure? It does mean changing the bulb.
So Fully Charged is all about basically whizzy green tech. It's not just about electric cars. It's about, no, know, no, no, very much Power walls yeah. and all sorts of stuff. And we really like whizzy green tech. I think we can come in a bit to talking about the limits of that. But what was the? Yeah. what are some of the really cool things, the stuff you've seen in the last couple of years that's made you go, oh, bloody hell, you can do what? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's got to be energy storage and, in, in, and not just, I'm not just talking lithium-ion batteries, but, you know, the developments in the area of how you can store electricity are in a sense the lever that 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 in a way the lever that makes renewables plausible and that the lever that is also pushing the the um, gravestone on top of the fossil fuel industry. You know, I like to see it in two roles because that argument is p- totally legitimate. You know, which, which and it's an annoying one, but you know, well, they're, they're, what about intermittency? And I can't help doing that sort of voice when oh, I say yeah. it. I've heard it so many yeah. times. Yeah, intermittency. And, you know, uh, you can't, you know, it's the sun doesn't always shine or the wind doesn't always blow. I've heard it 170,000 times a day. Uh, which, and it's true, but it is true. That's why it's so annoying. <laughs> sort of, yeah, but it's sort of not quite true and it's yeah. not quite true yeah. in the way that people think. Exactly. And, you know, the far, it's far more common for the national grid engineers to turn off wind turbines because they're producing too much electricity at the wrong time. You know, in a way, they work too well. That is the that is more of a problem than they don't work well enough. And that electricity we should be using. So the systems I find fascinating are the ones. They're not just hardware based. They're software and community and socially based. That you have a house that's a little bit smarter and uses electricity when it's really cheap. Because when it's really cheap, it's really clean. And that argument alone, I think, says such an enormous amount about the change in technology. Cheap and clean, dirty and expensive. If we have to turn on gas and oil and coal-burning power plants, that costs a lot of money. We can't afford to do that. So let's use the renewable stuff that's cheap. (laughs) You know, it is extraordinary. So battery storage, certainly I I have batteries in my house, makes a massive difference, absolutely colossal difference. And and at the moment, it is still uh, the, the, you know, it's the area of, it, you know, you've, it's a privilege to have it. You, you have to have some money to be able to fit that kind of equipment in your house. If you're if you're retrofitting it, it should be absolutely mandatory that it's built into new houses now. That certainly is my biggest bugbear. And that there is building going on in this country, and we're still in 2020 fitting gas smacking boilers. Excuse my smacking French. But gas boilers now, you smacking useless, hopeless smack quits in the building industry. Because they're expensive to run. They break down. The boiler industry's got a fucking hold on them. You know, they're forcing people to have them. Boy, uh, gas boilers are shite. You can, there's, this- thankfully, I've just talked to a lovely farmer up the road from me who's built five affordable homes for old people and for poor people in a, in a rural village, and they all use air source heat pumps because yeah. that's how to heat the house cheaply. And if you build the house around that, because they're new built houses, you build the house around that, they're, they're, it's really well in, insulated, they don't need a gas boiler. Jesus. Sorry. But you must find this so funny because <laughs> 10 years ago, you were banging on about 
uh, wind and I mean we we all were you know we, we, all of us here yeah. on this call have spent the last ten years saying look this stuff is coming it's going to get cheaper yeah. and indeed now we're saying look this stuff is coming and it must you must you must have this mixture of sort of intense frustration that you've been banging on about this for so long whilst also <laughs> feeling like saying sod the lot of you listen to Uncle Bobby yeah. I've been talking about this for ages uh, told you so so yeah <laughs> do I mean you not I just get I, intensely frustrated by this sometimes I sometimes do and it's and it's always an shouldn't do it's a negative thing if you get angry about it it doesn't help you know i've certainly learned that the hard way by getting angry and seeing it not helping <laughs> so it's from, uh, twitter but, by any chance yeah yeah so on all sorts yeah. of and youtube comments and all that sort of stuff but it is the it is hard so when someone goes they still do and it's just and it's you know it's based on a, a certain level of ignorance not necessarily malicious but somebody will comment on an episode we've done about a small electric car and they go well the obvious answer to this is to, have, is to use hydrogen hydrogen is the future it's a really easy thing to say and I absolutely hope hydrogen is does have a role in our future because it's a lot better than natural gas diesel petrol all those things but I've had the experience of driving small hydrogen fuel cell cars they're brilliant incredibly expensive <laughs> they're just mind-boggling the first one i drove was over a million and a half quid yeah that, that's, that's, i think that's beyond the babble's reach it is, moment, and it's yeah. just you know it was lovely it was a honda the honda clarity it was brilliant it was an experimental car it worked there were two things that and one of the comments i saw recently i didn't respond to because i just knew i had a step away step away from the yeah, step away step, step away step from that away. keyboard but it <laughs> yes. was um you know, I'd, love, I'd much rather have hydrogen than I wouldn't have to worry about all the, all the toxic materials in batteries. Well, one, he doesn't know what he's talking about with toxic materials. And two, hydrogen fuel cell cars have quite large battery packs, 10 to 12 kilowatt hours. They have to, or they don't bloody work. So that level of ignorance, is, he's still got that thing that, I, oh, I can refuel it in, in, a, in a 30 seconds. No, it's about 11 minutes to refuel a hydrogen fuel cell car. How do I know? Because I've snagging done it. <laughs> <laughs> and in one particular case when I had a, that was when we were doing the last series of Red Dwarf got a lift in a Toyota Mirai lovely hydrogen fuel cell car made by Toyota they're desperately trying to sell them and not really having any success um, and they're very expensive but they and he hits a hydrogen fuel cell car the guy loved driving it he said the only problem was the only hydrogen filling station in London near Heathrow had broken so he has to drive to Reading perfect <laughs> to refill it to drive back into London to drive it for a bit and then drive back to Reading before it runs out so that infrastructure is not there it's being promised for years in the same sense in 2010 there was one rapid charger in the UK at Mitsubishi's headquarters. There was only one. It was imported from Japan. This is for electrics, now, right? Rapid charging. This is for electric yeah, cars, yeah. for rapid charging electric cars. There's now, I think, 14,500 in the UK on motorways and car parks all over the place. So there is the infrastructure for electric vehicles at the moment. It's, it needs to grow, but it is there. And there really isn't for hydrogen. But I mean, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> Sorry. Cars on the table, cards on the table, and cars on the table as well. Cars on the table, uh, cars on the table everybody. Uh, on this podcast, like we love, we love electric cars. I definitely think they are an important part of. Like we have to transition internal yeah. combustion engine cars to electric cars. 
But there are a lot of people in the in the green world and green movement who say well, all this focus on electric cars is not, as you mentioned earlier, is not is not solving the problem of needing to get more people out of private transport yeah. into public transport and all the rest of it. And they also do say things about, and I have zero knowledge of whether this is true, but they say things like, you know, if you build a battery, you've got to send kids down mines in unregulated labour markets to go and dig up your rare earth minerals and your rare earth metals and your minerals and all the rest of it. Do they have a point? And oh yeah, I mean, what? I think what, so. I mean, what's the future sta- for making these things better? If if they do have a point, yes. I mean, I'm, if I'm standing a safe social distance from someone um, who's saying, you know, I don't like the, uh, batteries because they're made out of uh, you know the rare earth, uh, you know, blah blah blah. That argument, the children in the Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. <clears throat> if they're saying that to me face to face, that's good. If they're saying it uh, by using any electronic device. <laughs> <laughs> made anywhere on earth ever then really they need to look in a mirror uh the the, the percentages because it's a really contentious issue i was at a conference in oslo uh was it last year or the year before in the last couple of years where um a member of amnesty international gave a talk i had to introduce him i was comparing the event amazing guy about the congo and about to cobalt mining in the congo and and we've got to say it, Chinese companies, not exactly scrupulous, who are the big Im- importers of cobalt into China from Africa. Um, a lot of them are genuinely legitimate, even by Amnesty International's standards. They know they run a proper mining company with, you know, an in, at an industrial level, massive diggers, massive trucks, trains, transporting the material, all that stuff. Nothing to do, it's called artisanal mining. But there is a small percentage of artisanal mining, which is which involves children going down holes, digging out cobalt, uh, which is illegal. It's not, it's not legal, legally allowed, even in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but it does happen. Uh, so it, the estimate is about 25 to 3% of the global cobalt supply comes from artisanal mines, and of that, about 4% of that 2 to 3% is children. So there are children that are mining cobalt, and it is utterly wrong. But it's a minuscule fraction of the cobalt. And here's the other really important, two other important things. One, a very large percentage of cobalt use is in refining fossil fuels. It's to remove sulphur from really? diesel and petrol. Did yeah. not know that. Yes, no, very few people know that. That's not advertised by the fossil fuel industry, <laughs> that they use cobalt. And they can only use it once. It, it lasts quite a long time, I'd like to them to, though. I'd like them to. Yeah. Seeing as you all think we're evil bastards anyway, here's yeah. a few things you might not have known. They are. They have. They hire very, very clever, very well versed lobbyists to spin this stuff. Oh God, they've got some cobalt in their batteries. One percent of a Tesla battery is cobalt. One percent of its mass. Five percent of its mass is lithium. The other one there was going. Well, lithium. We haven't got enough lithium. There is enough lithium, according to uh, geologists who study this, to make twenty billion electric cars. There's no way we've got enough steel, plastic. All the other things you need to make the cars, but there's enough. There's there's so much lithium on this planet; it's off the scale. If we could build houses out of lithium, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> you just don't want it to rain because then they'd explode. <laughs> but <laughs> we've got the material. But so those things are very important. To, but so the, but a, a, a phone battery, an iPhone battery, an Android phone battery is between forty and sixty percent cobalt hugely more cobalt than that because it's such a dangerous battery to have that high energy and that small 
a, a smaller thing. Car battery is huge; doesn't need that danger. They can cool that battery with other right, systems okay. cooling. So, uh, if you've got a phone or a laptop or a tablet, and you're a green activist, and I totally support what you're doing, but remember your tool that you use to communicate has a lot of cobalt in which we pray isn't bought from uh, the artisanal mining dealerships uh, you know and certainly the big computer companies are now very aware of the negative pr of that and have gone to great uh, uh, trouble to you know make sure that they're not supporting that but the, the step behind beyond that is there's no other material that you can use to remove sulfur from fossil fuels and there are the materials available to make batteries so the cobalt the zero cobalt battery is very rapidly approaching plus all the other aspects of it because if you i always say if you use diesel it's really hard to recycle it and use it again we haven't worked out how to do that yet <laughs> but if you dig up cobalt and put it in a battery it stays as cobalt and at the end of that battery's life which is we now know is 25 to 30 years it's full useful life you can get that cobalt back still cobalt's not the same as the lithium lithium still lithium and that's already happening people are recycling so I think the most crucial thing I've learned from this whole thing is how important a circular economy is. And I've talked to people who are in minerals extraction and they say we've got 25 to 30 years and then we've got to stop. And this is mining people. We've got to stop digging shit up and we've got to learn how we can use that stuff again. They don't use the word shit, by the way. They use the word <laughs> valuable material. <laughs> There you go, honey. That's about all the recycling I can handle today. This makes me think of something that um, our resident science advisor, Big Dave, um, asked us to ask you about Scrappy Challenge because he just, said right. Scrappy Challenge. Just for clarity, that's thing. not that's not Dave's moniker for himself. Uh, he, has, oh, he, he doesn't call himself Big Dave. No, he has a friend who is tall, who is called Dave, and uh, right. it does well, exist, amazingly. It does exist, although he isn't tall, but that's a, it's getting complicated. Anyway, uh, he, he said Scrap Heap Challenge, which we talked about before, but was this programme where you went to a scrap heap and you got bits out of it and you made things. That was basically yeah. what you did. Do you think, like, basically that concept's dead now anyway? Because so much technology is not going to be chucked on a scrap heap and is not made of bits of clanky metal anyway. Yeah. I don't I don't well I'm hope not because we are we were meant to be shooting that this year we were going to we we hope to make a a, pro, a show a one off show called Zap Heap Challenge where we're using oh nice uh, 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 batteries motor control systems electric motors drivetrains everything from electric cars mostly not from Norway where they've wrecked them in the winter <laughs> Um, they, they, they do produce a, a steady supply of, of uh, second life batteries, which is very kind of them. Um, uh, you know, but to make a machine that wasn't a car. So, you know, I was hoping we could make, I don't know, a digger or canal boat or something, you know. And that, that was on the cars. Of course, it's all, been, it's all been shelved for now. So hopefully we can do that. But I think, you know, the, I think there's an element that you're right. So I, I've now, you know, when you do a review of a car, in the past, you would open the bonnet to look at the engine and how beautifully that you know Ferrari had Ooh, done. Look it. at its look at its yeah. cranks. <laughs> yes. something about these, spark uh, plugs and move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, spark plugs and carburetors with uh, multiple manifold inlets, all that stuff. There's nothing. You <laughs> open the bonnet of the car now. There's a plastic box with some wires coming out. I don't know what it is. There's nothing I could do to it. And I have rebuilt 
petrol cars in the past in my youth so you know i do know what i'm doing up to a point with that but i haven't got a clue with an electric car you look i don't know one of the boxes is a computery thing with some wires i don't know what it is so that how you would reuse that stuff well i mean interestingly there are people who do that so uh, in, a, in that sense so there is a now a growing and, and very rapidly growing uh, market for classic car conversions so we know quite a few companies that will take something like a e-type or a ferrari or a you know morris van volkswagen beetle range rovers land rovers and they'll completely strip all the old fossil fuel stuff out fit in batteries and electric drivetrain they're amazing i mean they're doing amazing and this isn't like me doing it in my shed here which would be an absolute disaster and take 10 years they're really good at it <laughs> they do a really professional job you know and so they are so there is now a ferrari we had it at one at a fully charged live show last year that is it, it, fascinatingly it is faster and drives further on one charge than the original car did on one tank of gas nice. so it, it accelerates faster its top speed is greater and it goes for longer nice. as an electric car than the petrol one did but that is you know you've got to accept that that is a very exceptional thing uh, ferraris have small fuel tanks who knew i didn't know <laughs> and very big engines and used a lot of fuel so they never went very far on them Five years ago on this on this show, in one of the earlier episodes we did, uh, we talked about Top Gear uh, because it was around the time, it was before Clarkson decided to punch somebody for not cooking his steak no. properly. Um, not long before mine, but uh, it, it was when it was still a big show on the BBC. And he had, Clarkson in particular, did a review of uh, the BMW i8, I think. Yes, that was his last review for Top Gear. Fascinating. Was it? Was Historical it? Historical moment. Yeah, that was the last one he ever wow, did. Wow, yeah. I'm not sure we clocked that at the time. Uh, yeah. Well, there would have been no reason to, would we? We didn't know he was about to no, lamp no. a producer. Um, yeah. But the point could, of could that... Could have had a guest, to be honest. Well, yeah, exactly. He was Clarkson. <laughs> Um, the that review and we talked about it at the time was you know was not him making cheap jokes about no electric cars being you know rubbish or you know some outdated sexist comment about them being for girls or something he yeah. quite the opposite he had he had a bit of an enlightenment moment and said this is amazing and this is the future yeah. and it got us thinking like <laughs> do you think if if it had that enlightenment moment a bit earlier and if Top Gear and that whole culture around sort of petrol <laughs> yeah. heads had got over themselves a lot, a lot earlier, we might have actually seen this transformation take place faster. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's such a difficult mixture because I absolutely think that in that, it, it, it certainly held it back. It gave everyone an excuse not to do anything. So is it, think, is it Clarkson's I, fault? Can, can like, no, I'd love to blame him. Because go on, just blame I, him. Know, it, and it is an absolute arse. But the thing is, he makes me laugh. I think he's funny. That's the problem with him uh, that I've had with him. And I've met him a couple of times and I was wetting myself laughing because he's so obnoxiously foul-mouthed and rude. <laughs> You know, to me, it was horrible to me. And we also shared cameramen. Uh, I don't know if that's the correct term, but there were two cameramen who worked on Fully Charged that also did Top Gear. No way. So occasionally I'd get... Turn up and work with bruises and things, would they? No, no, they were were always... They all got on with him because they just... They thought he was an absolute twat and they were incredibly rude to him. Everyone was very rude to him. And I I won't go into all the... Horror, the rude stories but anyway they, but uh, there was one morning I remember getting out of my car in the car park really early in the morning and one of the cameramen comes over and goes, oh Robert I was working with Jeremy yesterday He's got, he had a message for you and I said oh and I was a bit flattered I went oh did he you know who's remembered me 
And then they, he said, yes, he said, you're, a, I'm not going to say, he used the C word. <laughs> that was the message. C- car uh, um, enthusiast? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, car enthusiast. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think that uh, they, certainly their review of the Tesla Roadster, which they did, that's more than 10 years ago, when it ran out. Um, oh, it yeah. ran out of batteries, they said, yeah. when it did, it had yeah. it. particularly seems to hate American. Like his two pet peeves are Americans, American cars, and electric cars, and we're an American electric car, so we're <laughs> we're in the worst possible situation for someone like Clarkson. You know, so yeah, they're nice. yeah, but, yeah, but then the big mistake that I think Tesla made, and I, you know, not that I had any influence, but I do remember talking to Tesla people in London at the time, of which there was sort of three, because it was a tiny little company. Uh, I said, yes, the, the biggest mistake you'll ever do is to take them to court. So Tesla took them to court because they lost because it's a light entertainment show. They can say whatever they like. You know, it doesn't matter. Very big mistake. But, you know, they lied about it. So you then became suspicious. Why are they so anti it? Because it's like, so what? You know, it's not any threat to their livelihood, to their way of life, to their... Mm-hmm. Why, what upset those old men because I can say that because I'm the same age as Clarkson, what upset that, uh, you know, them so much when there was an alternative to a car that goes vroom, you know, mm. and it was, it was sort of beyond logic. What's the problem? You know, obviously it's good for them to, uh, you know, it gives them something to do jokes about so they can do that. And he, d- he just told this utter pack of bullshit about, you know, they showed pylons and coal-burning power plants and this car's dirtier. He said, if you actually watch it again, I mean, it's a lot of old waffle, mm. but it doesn't really matter. And then they drove it and they did, I think his li- the lines he comes up with, brilliant. He said, I thought electric cars were dial-up, but this is high-speed broadband. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. Yeah. Very low battery charge. Search for nearest charging station. <laughs> You're just wasting electricity telling me that. Did you ever mention that name in front of me, that filthy piece of toe rag? And it just makes you think of a theme that's kind of run through this interview, really, which is technology is a thing. Technology is, you know, yeah. stuff people stuff is invented and it's coming. But whether the extent to which we adopt it and how fast is not about technology, really. No. It's about people being weird, squishy little bags of water. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I just, politics and, and money. Politics, like, yeah, yeah, politics. yeah, yeah. Which is kind of odd, isn't it? And I mean, there is a, uh, we have to acknowledge that there is a, there is a thing called a lobby. There are lobby groups. There are think tanks that are funded by the fossil fuel industry that has, you know, the potential. It's an existential challenge to them. If we can develop technologies that genuinely don't need billions of barrels of, gal- of, of fossil fuels, that is their business. And, you know, so they don't want that to go away. <laughs> You know, and I think I think we've got to have a certain amount of sympathy and empathy for the Coke brother. There's only one left. You know that uh, their whole life is pivoted around that, and and, and Exxon I mean, I'm, and all I'm those companies. I'm struggling. I hear you. I hear, I hear you, but I'm struggling. <laughs> but you know, they are. They do have a strong influence, and they will tell people. And Trump's a really good example of that. Of how that works is you don't do complexity; you do simplicity. I don't want to drive electric. I want to put some gas in my car and go. Screw you! End of argument. Mm. End of There's nothing to say. Can't say anything to that. You know, I get death threats from people saying, if you try and take away my pickup truck, I'll blow your head off. I don't want to take away anyone's pickup truck. 
Keep your pickup truck, you sad knuckle dragging tossback. <laughs> Keep your fucking piece of shit, clanky old Smack. rubbish, steam age technology, shiteful pickup truck, you tossback. At which point, someone drags you away <laughs> someone, from the keyboard. Just, <laughs> no, yes, no, Robert, no. Get him away from the keyboard. This is setting you back months. I, I never type that. I would never type that. I've said it now. Beep it all out. No, it isn't. What is it? It's an. It's an. It's an orange. Come on, say it. It's an orange. This is an orange. It's an orange. You know, it will happen. We will see a, a continued um, increase in private electric private cars. But the big change and the, the thing that will change, like in a few months, is someone like UPS who've ordered a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand electric vans amazon wow. in america ordered over a hundred thousand electric vans that is going to you're going to see electric vans on there you won't even know but the van in front of you that says dhl or amazon or whatever is going to be electric very very soon because it's cheaper they they work out that sort of logistics they've got a base these vans do a set route around here and here and here they know they can do them they come back to the base they control the charging they control the energy that goes into them they will start in, installing solar panels or battery storage systems or mass charging systems that suit their you know logistics that's going to happen and the electric trucks and buses so they are coming much much faster i love the story i'll just do one qu- quick story of comparisons with how fast we're moving and how fast other countries we got a, an email about the mayor of leicester with his new electric bus the leicester's first fully electric bus made in china brilliant bus and he was standing proudly by this one single bus that will do one of the routes in leicester on the same day that happened shenzhen in china took sixteen thousand diesel buses off the road and replaced them with sixteen thousand electric ones on the same day Oh, but they I'm haven't, they haven't got the plucky spirit of the they Brits, don't have do they? the you plucky know, the... British get up and go spirit. <laughs> exactly on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> to coin a phrase that a sadly departed car show would always yes. end with, uh, we should we should say thank you very much and um, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks a million for coming on, and thank you also for being the star of, or one of the stars of, a formative TV show in all of our lives, certainly mine and Dave's lives. Um, I would also like to be lying on a beach, sipping mango juice, having goldfish shoals and nibbling at my toes. Uh, one day you, we'll be allowed to do will that. You, will, you just, will you just call us a pair of smackheads just before we go? Will you, will you well, I'd just like to, I very much like the idea that you, you, you said uh, the star of, and I, although I'm absolutely not, just for a moment I'm going to claim to be and I will rub my fellow performers' noses in it. So, you know, Danny and Craig and Chris, they do a really good supporting role for Triton. You know, they're brilliant. I don't want to denigrate them at all. They're very fine people. No, they're lovely. And it's definitely not a star vehicle. But yes, um, uh, if, uh, for people who've never seen uh, Red Dwarf, it was first started airing in the 1980s and... The writers managed to get a, a space age swear word past the uh, the commissioners at the BBC, <laughs> and the word was smeg. And I'm not going to tell you at all where that came from. But if you look up smegma, it's not pleasant. Don't don't look up smegma. It's not a pleasant thing. Don't look up. It's not smegma. a pleasant thing. But thankfully, nobody at the BBC seemed to work that out. So that is the swear word that we use on Red Dwarf. And and because Crichton is the my character, who's a mechanoid, he's been programmed to be very polite. 
and very uh, respectful of human beings, he can't say swear words. So he always just says, Smee. He's trying to. He wants to say, Smee. He can't actually get it out. So when he calls someone a smeghead, he says, Sir, you're a complete and utter Smee. <laughs> That's as good as he can do. Ah, oh, he was a lovely chap, was he not? Was he not? He was everything I hoped for and more. Uh, um, yeah. There are a few things that my kind of non-greeny friends are very impressed by when I tell them about Babel. They're, I think they're mainly impressed that I've like committed this long to anything. I'm, uh, I'm fairly <laughs> surprised, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but with the exception being when I texted a mate saying, uh, we've got an interview with Crichton. He went absolutely nuts. Um, and it is so nice to meet someone who's a bit of a hero and, and discover that they are very cool in real life. Um, and not just cool for being Crichton, but cool for like really seriously knowing what he's talking about with all this electric car stuff. Because um, mm. we have covered this topic a bit before. We should, you know, just yep. go back and listen to whichever episode that was. But this is a whole, a whole new level of detail. And, you know, Robert has obviously met and interviewed pretty much every serious player in the electric car world over the last 10 years. So it's it's pretty it cool. Cracking. So thank you, Robert. Something he didn't say, uh, his Twitter address is at Bobby Lou. B-O-B-B-Y-L-L-E-W he did not say that uh, I do not think so that's how you can get in touch with him um, right very good thank you as ever to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts ends and intertwinkles this podcast and to the wonderful Arthur Stovall for the logo what adorns it you can get in touch with us all how do you do that you can tweet us at the Babble Wagon. You mm. can find us on Facebook by just searching oh. Sustainababble. Or you can email us by emailing hello at sustainababble.fish. Well, that sounds like lots of ways to get in touch. That's good. And if you want to buy a T-shirt, how do you do that? You go to our website, which is www.sustainababble.fish, and you find a bit on that website that says T-shirts. And you click on that and you order 20 to 30, depending on how wasteful you're feeling. Um, and that that is just lovely and if you want to give us money on Patreon to support the running of this organ and get us more interviews with more cool people how do you do that all? this feels like a test now and I'm, one I'm determined to get 100% on you go to <laughs> Patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash sustainable where you can join the legion of people who give us a little bit of cash every month and it makes a huge difference and it fills our heart with joy and it also as well as making you feel good for giving a nice podcast some cash you'll also get a little bit of a sort of inside track on what we're planning and we'll ask questions that we should ask to guests and stuff like that so it's a good way to get a bit more involved in the babble if you want to right that's it oh i'm i'm all out i'm all out mate you I'm are, all out. i'm too excited that's it you cooked your little brain is cooked go and have a lie down I in shall. a darkened room and uh, dream of holly uh very good thank you all see you next week bye okay bye